Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So Kat and I have come to the conclusion that uh, we live next door to a haunted cheesecake factory. Yeah, um, not a place where they make cheesecake, but the restaurant. The restaurant the itself. The cheesecake factory. Yeah. We have detected paranormal activity at a major chain restaurant. Yeah. I don't remember what it was, but I remember feeling very strongly about it. Well, it was... Uh, granted, we were one drink in mm-hmm. at that point. We were sitting at the bar waiting for our table. And <gasps> oh, yes! So you felt somebody tap you on the shoulder. Mm. And there was nobody there. There was nobody there. No. It was very weird. And then, and then when we were leaving... Something else happened, and I don't remember what that was either. <laughs> Something to do with uh, the patio. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly, but the bottom line is we left convinced that the Cheesecake Factory next door is haunted. That would be a really fun reality show, I think. Major chain restaurants with paranormal activity? Yeah, like a uh, Gordon Ramsay hosts ghost hunters kind of thing. Ooh, like restaurants from hell, only really from hell. Right. <laughs> Beazelbub Barbecue. Slices with Satan. The anointed cherub's cheese plates. That would be the complete opposite. That would be like uh, Olive Garden of Eden. Father of Lies and Flatbreads. Prince of Dark Meats. Is that just a turkey place? Yeah, it's just a turkey place, but it's not like the prime cuts. Right. It's like all drumsticks. And it's served with a, a raw sewage sauce, so you can imagine the wait time. Any hoozle, we had an awfully good time this year during Major League Baseball season watching Aaron Judge chase the American League record for home runs, which he broke he set the record at 62 home runs this season, and he's up for free agency oh. this year as well. So you, well, the amount of money that he stands to make is staggering. Um, there's a lot of speculation how much he will make with his new contract, but numbers are being thrown around like a seven-year deal for $310 million. What? Yeah, $45 million a year, which would be the most anybody has made as a major league baseball player. Got me wondering about the highest paid athletes in the world, and according to Forbes... Oh, this is going to make me angry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Soccer star Lionel Messi tops the list in Forbes magazine. He makes $130 million a year. Oh, wow. LeBron. LeBron James close behind at $121.2 million a year. What sport does he play? <laughs> B-ball. Um, but who is the highest paid athlete of all time, do you think? Um, you know I'm not good at this game because my knowledge of modern sports is nil. Well, this wouldn't be modern. His name was oh. Gaius Apollasius Diocles, a Roman chariot racer for the Circus Maximus around the year 122. And he's the highest paid athlete of all time? Of all time. Chariot racing at the Circus Maximus in ancient Rome was kind of like the Formula One racing of today. It was big time. Oh, the, I was going to say boring. <laughs> the race involved seven one-mile laps around Circus Maximus. Yeah, that sounds boring. Each race had 12 chariots and lasted anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. At the time, the average chariot racer in the, they called it the Roman League, would be lucky if they won one or two races mm -hmm. uh, every season. In the career of professional chariot racing, it was notoriously short. Fatalities were extremely high, which is why it was as popular as it was. People, oh, okay. Kind of like NASCAR they, today. You know, everybody goes because they're hoping to see a good car wreck. Who was the comedian that said they couldn't afford tickets to, to go see NASCAR, so they set a box of Tide on fire? Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Diocles had a 24-year career. And that, because most careers ended, well, sometimes when they started, they would last no more than one season. That made it even more remarkable. During that time, he won 1,462 races and placed in an additional 1,438 races. Now, historical accounts state that over the course of his career, Diocles earned 26,000 kilograms of raw gold 26,000 kilos of gold that would be worth today about 12.7 billion dollars wow that's seven times the money michael jordan has earned so far with all of his endorsements and everything making him the richest athlete in history his first professional race was at the at the age of 18 he was a, a very aggressive racer which People loved because, well, you know, there's a good chance you're going to die. That served him well until he moved up to the Roman League. He was racing in Portugal, and that style worked there. But when he got to the uh, Circus Maximus, the Roman League, uh, against more accomplished racers, he had less success. In fact, for two years, he did not win a race at that level. But when he was 20, things changed. He altered his style. And when he did, he began to win, and he won a lot. Since most of the chariot racers were slaves in those days, and he came from a position of privilege, he had an initial advantage because of his social standing. He was better prepared, well-rested, and well-fed. He recognized early on the high mortality rate among chariot racers, or as my dictate feature on Word said, cheery erasers. <laughs> They wore simple leather helmets and shin guards and had basic, a basic chest protector. He noticed that most of the fatalities occurred when they were turning a corner or swerving 
to avoid a competitor. In this style of racing, it was different in the sense that you didn't hold the reins with your hand. They tied them around your waist. So if you crashed, you were dragged to your death. The new style that Diocles adopted not only helped him avoid the wreckage, but captivated the empire. History states that he routinely would trail in all of the races, sometimes lagging in last place, but then he would surge ahead in the final straight to win the race. Now, fans love this because it was so dramatic. Mm. They fell in love with him. But his racing style also allowed him to avoid the chariots in front of him. They were the ones that had to deal with all of the uh, crashes and the overturned chariots, and he had more time to react to any accidents, and he was able to avoid them. So he seemed to figure out pretty early on that employing this tactic would serve him, um, giving him a longer, more lengthy career and the opportunity to rack up the wealth, which he did. When he retired, they erected a statue in his honor at Circus Maximus, and he quietly moved to a small town and raised his family. But what did he do with the money? It seems to have just disappeared. It's been said that that amount of money that he earned, he could have bought his own army, literally, right? if he wanted it. He could have overthrown the Roman Empire. The kind of money that he had in those days in the Roman Empire would have nearly been impossible to spend. Not like today, you know, where you could buy a company or real estate or take adventure, uh, expensive vacations. You could buy land, but it would have been impossible for him to completely spend all the money that he earned, especially when you consider that he was born into wealth. His right. father owned a shipping company, so he had plenty of money to begin with. We don't know much about him. Diocles, the man after he retired, either he kind of disappeared from public life, he didn't seek the life of high society, or one of politics. And in those days, it took money, well, it still does, uh, to become a member of the Senate. Before you could even be considered for Senate in ancient Roman times, you had to have at least one million sesterces. He had way more than that and still didn't pursue a life in politics. He could have spent his money on art, sculptures. He could have commissioned great works of art, Mm. but he did none of these things. It's a big mystery as to why he just quietly went away after retiring and didn't appear to spend any of his money. He more or less just disappeared from history, even though he was the richest and winningest chariot racer in history. To this day... We don't know what happened to the 26,000 kilograms of gold worth $12.7 billion in today's money. We just don't know. He didn't spend it on anything, and it just is unaccounted for. It's out there somewhere. We just don't know where. That's really weird. First of all, I want to thank Lindsay, my co-host from The Shallow End, for suggesting this story. Nice cross-promote. Thanks. I got my information from Pocketworthy, Atlas Obscura, Forbes, Sports Illustrated, and USA Today. So when you when you hear about Aaron Judge signing a $310 million uh, contract, and like Kat said, you, you want to get angry, <laughs> remember it pales in comparison to the kind of money that Gaius Apollasius Diocles made 2,000 years ago. <laughs> exactly, in fact, 2,000 years ago. Do we know where he lived? When he went off with his family? Yes, we do. 
is there a cave nearby? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're over in Spain. You want to skip over and yeah. take a look-see? <laughs> yeah. He settled in a small town that is uh, now the Lazio region of Italy. Palestrina was the name of the town. So, yeah, we'll skip over to Italy and go, uh, go splunkin'. I think it's worth the investment. That's all. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. The Great Plague of London lasted from 1665 to 1666, and it was the last major epidemic of the bubonic plague to occur in England. It happened within the centuries-long second pandemic, 
a period of intermittent bubonic plague epidemics that originated in Central Asia in 1331, which is commonly thought of as the first year of the Black Death. The Great Plague killed an estimated 100,000 people, almost a quarter of London's population in 18 months. It was caused by the Yersinia pestis bacterium, which is usually transmitted through the bite to a human by a flea or a louse. In the poorest parts of the city, filled with overcrowded tenements and garrets, hygiene was impossible to maintain. There was no sanitation, and open drains flowed into the center of winding streets. The cobblestones were slippery with animal droppings, rubbish, and slop that was thrown out of houses. They were muddy and buzzing with flies, and this only exacerbated the problem. There were several popular medieval treatments that were commonly used. Vinegar was a popular cure. There was bloodletting. And then there were the more bizarre methods. For example, plucking feathers from a chicken's ass and then tying the chicken to the patient's wounds so that the chicken's ass was actually touching the infection. And then there's this one. Londoners in the 1600s were advised to keep fart jars consisting of trapped fart odors. The idea was that... <laughs> the idea was that the... The idea was that the potent smell would somehow purify the air. Damon sent us an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com. You two are just like my wife and I. I just go a little further with my jokes than he does. My job before COVID was a landman, finding out who owns mineral rights, titles, etc. Maybe we could get them to uh, come to Italy with us and help us look for that cave with the gold in it. Nice. Um, I was reading a man's last will and distribution of personal belongings. He left his 1942 Studebaker with less than 600 miles on it to his brother, and so on. So cool. He was married, and I didn't see his wife's name come up. And then the last page. To my wife, he said, I leave the dingleberries from my ass. May she choke on them. Uh, uh. Signed, dated, and notarized. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> I want to know the backstory, Damon. For real. There's there's got to be a story, right? He wouldn't just do that and not let someone know why. Somebody's got to know somewhere. Any hoozle, thanks for the note. Palestrina is beautiful, and we should definitely go. Guess I'm bringing my metal detector on our cruise. <laughs> <laughs> it just occurred to me how funny it would look if you were metal detecting like on the pool deck. It's almost worth it just to see the reaction. <laughs> Later come out with a vacuum cleaner on the beach, that kind of thing. I consider that performance art. We made a TikTok that has gone not quite viral, but semi-viral, mm. let's say, and uh, kind of struck a nerve. It talked about our personality traits, basically, like you're this way, I'm this way. And so many people have commented, oh, my God, it's us. <laughs> <laughs> hey there, it's Kate said, marriage is wild, y'all. Nothing like two people who continuously trigger one another. Yeah, that's kind of the deal. Um, we've learned to deal with that. But because of my experience in my past, certain things trigger me. And when that when I'm triggered... How I react to it triggers you because yeah. of things yeah. in your past. 
It's like a perfect wheel of gunk. I think it's called a vicious cycle, sweetheart. I, I prefer a vicious wheel of gunk. Mm-hmm. And if you want to follow Cat on TikTok, your handle is WateryTart207. Correct. Okay. And I do include some box of oddities stuff, and we are planning on expanding that. But for right now, it's mostly just dog stuff. Yeah. And occasionally us dancing. But not well. No. God, no. No. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're ever pulled over for speeding while listening to this podcast, just tell the officer about the box of oddities. He won't throw out the ticket, but we would love another subscriber. This is The Box of Oddities. So tell me a story, please. I want to first and foremost thanks Karen. Thanks, Karen. Thanks, Karen. First and foremost, I want to thank Karen for suggesting this topic. The Battle of Bosworth, or Bosworth Field, was the last significant battle of the War of the Roses, which reminds me, I would really like to watch War of the oh Roses. God, it's been forever since I I've know. seen that. And for some reason, Fall for Us is a real retro movie period. Yeah, it has. It's developed. It's kind of organically developed over the years. It really has. Anyway, the War of the Roses was the civil war between the houses of Lancaster and York, and that led to Henry VII, or Henry Tudor, Earl of Richmond, beginning his reign as King of England as he was crowned in Westminster Abbey in 1485. His arrival in London in late August was followed immediately by the onset of a mysterious plague that caused many deaths. It came to be known as the Sweating Sickness. Ooh. Or Suter Anglicus. I've never heard of this, and I'm a big fan of historical plagues. Yes, plagues and war. You yeah. love them. I love it. Well, I don't love it. I love the history of... Also called the English sweat, or just the sweat. The sweat started with an incredible sense of foreboding. 
which huh. I think is terrible and cruel. Because if a sickness is rolling around killing everyone, I would constantly feel a sense of foreboding <laughs> as it is. So I would always think that I had this sickness. Right. Yeah. Every time you start to sweat, you start thinking, I better start digging that hole. Yeah. I mean, for the last three years, every time my throat tickles, I'm like, oh, here it is. Yeah. That's it. I'm dead. <sighs> so you've got this sense of foreboding. Then come the cold shivers. They are violent and body racking. And there appeared to be an initial cold stage that lasted for a few hours. And then it's followed by the titular sweating. It was described by Thomas Forrester as this. And this sickness cometh with a great sweating and stinking, with redness of the face and all of the body. So not only are you sweating, people are talking about how you smell bad. That's not kind of shitty. Not really insensitive. It was then followed by dizziness, thirst that would not recede with drinking, headaches, joint pain, severe pains in the head and neck, heart palpitations, or as it was written in one of the descriptions, a great passion of the heart. I love how they could turn a phrase back then. They were so eloquent when describing life-threatening illnesses. One of the most terrifying features of the disease, though, was the speed at which it killed. The French ambassador, Cardinal Dubillet from London in June 1582, you have a slight pain in your head and at the heart. All at once you begin to sweat. There is no need for a physician. You are taken off without languishing. Oh my God. There were numerous reports of people dropping dead in the street suddenly. They would just they would just be walking around sweating and stinking and fall in a pile and die. Pretty much, yeah. Forestier, the French physician living in London, wrote, We saw two priests standing together and speaking together, and we saw both of them die suddenly. Also, in the proximity, we saw the wife of a tailor taken suddenly and died. Another young man walking by the street fell down suddenly. Generally, the acute phase of the sweat lasted for about 24 hours. And if you made it that long, if you passed that 24-hour mark, it was probable that you'd live. Okay, so you didn't feel well, but clearly it wasn't so bad that you couldn't get up and walk around and, and talk amongst yourselves. No, you did. It's just that it came on so quickly. I see. You okay. wouldn't you wouldn't have a chance to go, ah, geez, sorry, Pastor, I got to go home. I've got the sweat. You would just die. You'd just start dying. Holy crap. But good news, that 24-hour mark comes, and you're probably going to live. Well, there is hope. The sweat, as it became known, was terrifying, as you can imagine. Of course, illness was not unusual at the time. But a few things set the sweat apart from the plagues and such of the time. One onset of the sweat, like you had dealt with the symptoms, you made it past the 24 hours and you lived, you, you didn't become immune to it. You could get it over and over and over again until oh. it killed you. Wow. Another feature of the sweating sickness was that it was a bit different in who it affected. The illness seemed to target young, healthy men and favored the wealthy or powerful. Okay. Whereas most plagues of the time, 
it was the poor that suffered the most. They were living in unhygienic circumstances and a lot of times uh, sewage was involved right. or lice <laughs> or... Yeah, just bad things in general. Just not good things. Okay. This makes me think that it has something to do with only something that upper upper class people had access to like wow you way to use that deductive reasoning like uh the types of dishes that were like pewter it had lead in them okay kind re- of like the the bird's eye guy the i don't remember who the, it was the north north part explorey man i'm not sure i don't remember the, the exact story but it was an expedition it was like the it was one of those i think that's similar, but that's not what I'm thinking of. It oh, was okay. something that only affected the upper class, and it had something to do with them eating off of uh, plates that had lead in them. I, I don't remember now exactly, okay. but no, good, good. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's what got me thinking. Anyway, great point, sweetheart. Thanks. It's probably like something that else I, that that I thought of. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I rest my case, Your Honor. (laughs) The sweating sickness killed numerous nobles and courtiers, including two dukes of two of the Duke of Suffolk's sons, Henry and Charles, and Mary Boland's first husband, William Carey. Though, of course, its effects were not exclusive to the higher class, but it was so understood that the poorer classes dubbed the disease "stoop gallant." Meaning that those who are normally so postured and heads high then were stooped over because they were going to die pretty quick. Stoop gallant. Or is it gallant? I know it's goofus and gallant. I haven't seen a Highlights magazine in a long time, is all I'm saying. So as I said, the outbreaks were mostly contained within England. In fact, it's thought that the large number of people in London to witness the coronation of Henry VII may have increased the spread of the disease. But, good news, as fall turned to winter, the cases dwindled and eventually ceased. But, outbreaks occurred again during the summers of 1508, 1517, 1528, and 1551. Okay. But just during the summer. Was it related to the coronations that took place that time of year? Question mark. They weren't always connected to coronations, no. All right. It's that plate thing again, isn't it? Yeah, they only ate off plates every nine years or so. Yeah, in the summer, too. But after 1551, the disease vanished. By the time Queen Elizabeth took the throne, the English sweat had disappeared. Hmm. Or did it? It's hard to know because we don't really know what it was. The most popular opinion is that the sweat was an ancient variant of hantavirus. And there's a lot of speculation about what led to the particular virus's demise. It may have mutated to a less violent sort. Isn't that spread by rodent droppings? Yeah. Yeah. And that is supported by the fact that people with means were contracting it more because at the time rodents were drawn to higher class situations because you had excess grains lying around okay you had the food so they'd come to you it wasn't that you know you lived in a shitty apartment in the middle of new york city it was that you had grain and your kitchen was big and there were lots of places to hide that makes good sense it does 
Plus, at the time, England was experiencing a massive housing boom. So large households needed staff and large numbers of people to work in the kitchen, large deposits of grain, other foodstuffs. Shortly after people moved in, of course, rats and mice would follow. And it's thought that perhaps the subtle change in rodent ecology at the end of this potential hantavirus reign made life harder for the virus. So climate change may have seen to the dwindling of the virus. But it's not clear if that's actually what it was. Some suggest that it was actually an anthrax outbreak. Some, of course, say it was ergot because it's always ergot. It's always ergot, but never lupus. There are those that believe that a tick or mosquito-borne illness could be the cause, which would explain why the colder parts of the British Isles remained unaffected. And it's also supported by the fact that the outbreaks were preceded by periods of prolonged rainfall and in some areas extensive flooding. Either way, it's still unknown and it could be a lot of things. It, it definitely isn't a lot of things, so that's something. We're learning. They should dig up a victim and do some testing. They wouldn't learn anything, but I just really like the idea of digging up old graves. <laughs> Is that wrong? <laughs> I'm just, I, it gets me thinking about like, how far back does someone have to have been buried for it to be cool to dig them up? Mm, yeah. Do you have like a number in your head? In my head? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, actually kind of, yeah? I do. Yeah, I would say 80 to 100 years. Well, no, not, not even that. 50 years. 50 years. So you'd be okay with digging up Jackie Robinson? I noticed well, well, you're sinking his, in your chair a little bit right now. If, if his family said it was okay, sure. I wouldn't just go digging up anybody willy-nilly against the family's wishes. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, if they said, sure, here's a shovel. Um, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do the digging myself. No. I have a bad back. Right. But, yeah. I bring a lawn chair. I wish I had been at Lee Harvey Oswald's exhumation, although I would have been really friggin' young. But that would have been interesting. All right. Well, that's all I got for you, I guess. Okay. I got most of my information from <laughs> I got most of my information from History Today, Past Medical History, History Extra, Hekint.org, and of course Wikipedia. I'm concerned now about how, how uh, loosey-goosey you feel about just exhuming people. Well, I wouldn't do it against anybody's wishes. Mm -hmm. That's why I think a, a certain period of time has to pass so that there are no... There can be no people objecting? Nobody objecting to yeah. it, yeah. Uh, do it in the name of science. Well, I mean, okay. It have no scientific basis whatsoever, but... I would say it did. Right. It's kind of like when Michael Scott just comes out and says, I declare bankruptcy. Yes. Yes. It's like that. Exactly like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, Harry don't, Truman, don't feel too safe in your grave. Don't pretend like if I got permission to dig somebody up and it was totally fine and I decided I was going to do it, that you wouldn't be interested in going. You would be right there. I absolutely would yeah, exactly. That's why I love you so much. Hey, guys, thanks for hanging out with us. Want to thank our most recent patrons, members of the Order of Freaks. Your support helps us grow the show. 
We're working on some exciting ideas that Cat uh, kind of referenced vaguely about uh, TikTok and videos and things like that. If you'd like to become a member of the Order of Freaks on Patreon, go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. Also, Howard and Haggis say hi. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. 17 screenshots of Punky Brewster, so I'm Mm. having a hard time finding anything. (laughs) If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist, and we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.